Yo, hey, uh, welcome to PH5. Um, July 2022 edition. I'm drinking this, uh, it's like a, it's like a double espresso thing that I got uh, a while back. And it has like a, like a hint of lime, like, like citrusy kind of situation going on. It's pretty good. So those are the vibes for today. Uh, citrus espresso. How is everyone feeling? You guys good? Uh, it's been a hot one. Man, it's a hot one. Uh, smooth. Carlos Santana featuring Rob Thomas. And, uh, yeah, you know, we've been out here. Living life. Doing our thing. Uh, some music came out this month, and we're gonna talk about it. How do you feel about that, guys? Um... This month was crazy because, if I recall correctly, there were, let's see, July 1st, July 8th, July 15th, July 22nd, July 29th. So we had five weeks of release dates in July. Um, surely that means that there was an abundance of excellent music, and uh, it's been a struggle for me to narrow it down to only talk about five. Uh, that's not true, actually. Um, in fact, the first two weeks of August, uh, <laughs> first two weeks of July were so bad. Um, I think like one album came out that I liked, and I thought this whole month was going to be a wash. So I was like desperately trying to figure out, okay, like, should I do a podcast about, like, I don't know, like, my favorite hats or something instead for July? Like, top five hats of July? Um, but then some stuff came out, and it was pretty good, so, you know, don't worry. We, we've got PH5 locked and loaded, ready to go for you. Uh, had a special guest. Um, we have a special guest. I said had, because, uh, I talked to him in the past tense, uh, but you haven't heard it yet, so I'm going to switch to future tense. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it as a surprise. Who would, no, it was? Uh, it's our, my good friend Bob McCulley, aka Wizard of. Chatted with him last year about his record that uh, came out last year, and uh, he was kind enough to come on and chat with me about a new record uh, for this episode. So, looking forward to sharing that conversation with you guys. Uh, he's a delightful fella. We always have some just truly wonderful chats. And uh, again, open open call to anyone else out there. If you ever want to come on and talk tunes, let me know. I'm always happy to uh, talk to someone that isn't myself over and over again. So, anyway, let's uh, let's get into it, shall we? Thank you so much for joining, as always. This is July 2022, PH5, hosted by Phil May. Let's get her done. Okay, so... Here's the thing with this month. Um, I think I mentioned last month, or something, about how there's been a definite lack of heavy music being featured on PH5 this year. 
uh, due to whatever circumstances those may be. Um, so full disclosure to everyone out there who's listening, who may be of the more faint at heart, uh, we do a pretty big course correct on this month's episode. Uh, most of what we talk about is heavy music. Uh, there is an exception in there, and uh, the mentions are also um, a bit of a deviation from that, but I will straight up and tell you people, you folks out there, that uh, about four of the five records are heavy this month. So, uh, you know, rumors of my softness have been greatly exaggerated, I guess. Uh, you know, just all the good heavy shit came out at once. So, you know, PH5 is, you know, back to the OG ways, I guess. Uh, and anyway, to, to start off the discussion on the aforementioned heavy music, we are going to start off with number five. And number five is the album Thought Form Descent by the band Wake. So Wake is a Canadian metal band, okay, you always gotta show love to the homegrown ones here. Uh, and they have been releasing a kind of grindcore but not really style of music for a while now. Uh, I saw a site somewhere affectionately yet stupidly referred to it as post-grindcore, which doesn't mean a goddamn thing, I mean, let's be real. like. In, in a world where genres mean nothing, that really, really means nothing. Uh, but that being said, it's pretty apt, I guess. Um, especially on this new album, where... Uh, so they, they, they went into recording it almost immediately after their last record was released. Um, the last record came out and basically the pandemic hit. So, you know, they're not able to tour it. So might as well just get right back in the studio and keep going. And you can really kind of tell that this is a group of musicians that had spent a lot of time writing together and recording together uh, for like an extended period of time because the evolutionary step from the previous record to this new one is, is very obvious. Um, and, and it's easy to kind of draw the through lines between their previous efforts and this one because they were you know, kind of recorded one after the other. So they've, yeah, played a kind of post metal take on Grindcore in the past, uh, but this album sees them moving almost entirely into a realm of black metal uh, that is heavily influenced by post-metal for sure. I mean, a lot of black metal is, but you can really hear it on this album. And I mean, I don't really know what the album's about, for sure. I mean, the album cover is cool. You got like this, like wizard-looking woman in a forest. It's pretty sweet. Uh, but it's a very obvious step forward from all of their past releases. Um, it's not to say that they've gone soft or you know they've introduced more lighter elements into their sound. Um, if anything, it's the opposite. Uh, this is an extremely, extremely heavy record. Uh, but in, in a very artful way, you know? It's definitely not heaviness just for the sake of being heavy and being angry and pissed off or whatever. This is them 
challenging themselves to find new ways to be extreme and, and almost redefine what extreme music really is. Uh, the first two songs are easily probably some of the best music they've ever made and really encapsulate this new approach to music where um, you know any element kind of goes you know there are acoustic guitars thrown in almost like choral-esque elements going on in some of the songs but at the core and the foundation what they do the best is just sounding really really punishingly heavy and whether it's production techniques mixing techniques um you know the songwriting itself whatever it may be uh, they, they strive to reach new highs of heaviness on this record and they absolutely achieved it um there are some passages of these songs that are just so brutally intense that like i've been worried i was going to blow up my speakers because of just the kind of sonic assault that was coursing through the speakers at the time because of this album. It's really, really intense stuff, but it's not like, again, it's not like when you think of intense, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like Satan or whatever, you know, it's not like that. You can tell there's a real emotional core to this music and the intensity that they're bringing, they're bringing it because it's the only real way to broadcast the emotion that this music is based on. It's, um, it's not just intensity to freak you out, it's intensity that's purposeful and, and driven, and you can tell every single member of this band means every single note, every single scream, every single drum fill, everything that they're playing. Um, it's a record that I just keep going back to and keep listening. Um, it's placement at five on this list I don't think is necessarily indicative of how good it is. Um, it should be higher, I think, but I just haven't had the time with it that I need to yet in order to fully grow my appreciation and get to a point where I feel comfortable knowing exactly where this record lies in the pantheon of albums released this year. But this is one that I would expect to see um, higher than you would think given its current position um, on my year-end list, just because I think it is a really fascinating um, documentation of intensity. So, coming in at number five, we have Thought Form Descent by Wake. Number four is where we take a slight reprieve from the uh, heaviness that will kind of encapsulate the rest of this episode. Uh, coming in at number four, we have Beatopia by Biba Doobie. She really could have named herself basically anything else, eh? But she had to go with that. Um, it's charming, I guess. Um, we'll see how she feels about being named Bee-Badoobie in, like, ten years from now, if she's still making music and she kind of hits her mature side and she's still known by a name that sounds like a six-year-old made it. But, anyway, none of this is important. Um, so, this is her second record, and she's one of these interesting 
like came up through TikTok type musicians. Um, as a 32-year-old man, believe it or not, I'm not uh, watching too much TikTok, and I'm not super familiar with the whole um, burgeoning TikTok music scene. Uh, I do recognize how immensely powerful it is as a means of kind of A and R at this point. Like, I'd say a, a nice solid 30 to 40 percent of current artists uh, are in the level of fame that they are today because they've had a song go viral on TikTok or something like this. Um, so I, I, I'm usually kind of on the, the tail end of these things, you know, they get popular enough that they start releasing music to like other platforms and then that's when I pick up on it. But anyway, so she makes this kind of interesting mix between very 90s alternative and not, not just like alternative rock, but like alternative, um, like pop rock and like, like for example, I would say she's equally influenced by Pavement as she is by like Sheryl Crow, you know? Just like 90s vibes all around. But she brings with it a, a very modern sense of production, at least. Um, and you really hear her kind of coming into her own in, in that kind of style of production on this album. So the album's called Beatopia, which is kind of like a fantastical place that she made up as an escape when she was a kid. And the way that this album is produced is produced in such a way that you almost feel like you're in this Beatopia, you know? You feel like she's created this space for herself on this album. And, uh, you just kind of settle right into it when you start listening to it. Like, the album starts with, uh... It's called, like, Beatopia Cult Song, and it's just kind of like this gentle, almost folky easing into things, and just kind of getting you into the vibe that the album kind of sets out for its duration. Um... And all of that would be cool and well and all that, but, uh... It wouldn't work unless the songs were good. And fortunately, she happens to be a fantastic songwriter. Um, not every song is a hit, for sure. I'd say it's uh, maybe two-thirds of the tracks on here are great songs, and the other ones are kind of whatever. But still, two-thirds is pretty damn good. And those two-thirds songs that are great are actually really great. Um, so she kind of goes all over the place on this one from almost Avril Lavigne-esque pop-punk to, uh, like, again, like, bringing up Sheryl Crow again, like, Sheryl Crow-esque acoustic pop, um, to bringing in a little bit of glitch with her collaboration with another TikTok star, Pink Pantheress, uh, and, and just a lot of kind of alt-rocky kind of mid-90s MTV vibes across the album and she's able to kind of fit all these genres together into this one cohesive unit this place this sound as she calls Beatopia and I, I think it's a really impressive achievement because like she's very young like this isn't a person who grew up in that era and can just kind of emulate the sounds because she grew up around them and is familiar with them. 
she's quite young from my understanding, like maybe early 20s or something like that. So the fact that she is this good at kind of siphoning sounds from that era and recreating them in a modern way while having no real personal touch points to that era is really, I think, a showcase of her kind of musical literacy, you know, and, and it shows how she is kind of a student of the music that she's creating. She takes the time to learn how to play the guitar, like maybe Steve Malkmus did, how to create specific guitar tones that, that, that really are special in the way that the 90s made rock music that was simultaneously heavy but also really poppy, you know? Like, there are songs on this album that, that go into places that really shred and are like actually kind of heavy at times, but she always approaches it with this sense of lightness um, and this kind of carefree attitude that uh, is so hard to find nowadays. And it really just shows how committed she is to her sound and the respect that she has for, you know, the heyday of alternative music. Tons of great stuff in here. Uh, her first album really didn't sell me. Um, I really thought she was just another kind of TikTok star who got, you know, famous from a few random viral hits. But this album, I think, really cements her as a great songwriting force in uh, the current kind of alternative rock pantheon. So, coming in at number four, we have Beatopia by Psy Biba Doobie. Maybe consider a name change. Coming in at number three, we have... Mirror Cell by Greg Pucciato. Okay, so... Ah, uh, this is okay. So initially, if you recall, I wanted to kind of consider different ways of approaching this week's, this week, this month's podcast episode because there was a pretty bad drought of good music for the first half of the month. Um, and the only album that came out that I was really liking was this album, uh, Greg Pucciato's Mirror Cell. And I seriously considered for a period of time having an entire podcast episode devoted to Greg Pucciato because he is such an extremely important part of my musical identity and my taste and what I've enjoyed over the years. So Greg was the frontman of the Dillinger Escape Plan. May they rest in peace. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands. Just so good. I mean, I fell in love with uh, their debut, Calculating Infinity, back in 2002. I was 12 years old, and it's now 2022. So I'm talking two decades of fandom I've had for this band. There's almost no other acts out there that I've been a fan of for this long. Um, Greg wasn't on that album, but he joined for uh, 
Miss Machine, which came out in 2003, and I've been all aboard the Greg Pucciato train um, ever since then. And he brought a really different, unique approach to the Dillinger Escape Plan. So initially, they were just a straight-up mathcore band. Um, their original vocalist was great for what they were doing, but he was fairly one-dimensional in that you know he could only really do the barking screams kind of thing, and, and that was kind of it. Um, but Greg is a guy with vast amounts of uh, influence for what he does. You know, he's just as likely to cite Mike Patton or, you know, one of the Allison Chain guys as a vocal influence as he is to, you know, cite any of your hardcore mainstays. And you can really tell from the get-go how important uh, like Mike Patton, as a prime example, was for Greg because while he was always able to deliver the most harrowing, brutal screams you can imagine, he also had this melodic side and he introduced melody to the Dillinger Escape Plan and started incorporating actual songs into Dillinger's discography. And that's what really made them special. I mean, before then, yeah, they basically pioneered mathcore, which, you know, that would have been their legacy alone and that would have been fine. But when Greg came aboard, it completely changed the dynamic of the band and all of a sudden, they were able to pump out almost radio rock ready hits as much as they were, you know, releasing some of the most brutal music you can fathom. Um, it, it just really opened up a whole new universe of sound for the band. And, you know, along with um, Ben Weinman, who is the lead guitarist of Dillinger, you know, the creative partnership between those two guys just produced some truly outstanding music up until they finally decided to call it quits back in um, 2017. That was a pretty sad day for me when Dillinger broke up. Uh, again, this is a band that I, at that point, had loved for over 15 years. And it's not even like they went out on a whimper. Um, it was just kind of like they realized that they may, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened, but they went out on dissociation, which is, maybe arguably their best record like this was a band that was consistently releasing incredible music um and it never it, it never stopped up until their demise you know they they wanted to go out on a high note they did so you know just the amount of respect that i have for these guys is insane and i will always love dillinger and i will always hope for a reunion um not holding my breath but in the meantime, we have Greg's solo work. Um, so his first solo album came out in 2020, kind of like the peak of the early pandemic, you know? Uh, I didn't even know he was really working on it. I just kind of randomly saw one day like, oh, like Greg Pucciotto's releasing a solo album. And I was a little bit apprehensive, to be honest. Uh, Greg has done a lot of work outside of Dillinger, and not all of it has been great. 
Um, and I just felt like maybe without the other songwriting partner and Ben Weinman with him, uh, it just wouldn't be that good, you know? It would lean too much into his worst impulses, and uh, it would be kind of a mess. So that album released, I think in the fall of uh, 2020, uh, the extremely messy title, Child Soldier, Creator of God, I don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. And it was this 15 track long behemoth of just every kind of idea you can imagine thrown at the wall and seeing what would stick. And it was one of those records that surely should not have been as good as it was. Um, you could tell it was just kind of like a collection of random songs that he had been working on. Um, throughout the years, but despite of its extraordinarily messy and chaotic sequencing and whatever it may be, the album is actually really fucking good. It's a real testament to what a great uh, songwriter Greg actually is, because he tackles so many different genres and he kind of weirdly enough nails just about all of them. Um, You've got kind of like pummeling slow grunge right next to like twinkling almost EDM and you know more kind of acoustic affairs right up next to like a basically like an 80s soft pop hit. It's so all over the place and it's such a mess but it has this real charm to it and it just works. It, it, despite all odds, works. And it ended up being one of my favorite records of that year. Uh, and I still go back to it all the time. Uh, that's kind of the beauty of when you actually make something that's just a giant hodgepodge of ideas, is um, if they're actually good, then the legs on that kind of project are so long because you'll just keep going back and back to it because there's so many different things that you can like and, and take from the record and that album had so many so when it was announced he was finally releasing a follow-up you know obviously i'm extremely stoked uh but i i kind of i had thoughts that there was no way he would take the same approach again you know he can't just release another hodgepodge like he needs to he needs to focus and that's exactly what he did um mirror cell this new record is much more focused in just about every conceivable way. It's significantly shorter, it's like 20 minutes shorter at least, um, much less songs, and throughout the entirety of the record he's basically tackling different iterations on grunge. So there's it, this comes with some good and this comes with some bad. The good is that He's still a fantastic songwriter, and this kind of level of focus allowed him to, instead of playing around with genre experiments, to really kind of hone his craft within a kind of specific set of rules and structure. Um, the structure being rock songs, basically. Um, and he, for the most part, does a great job of it. You know, all the songs on here, well, most of the songs on here are pretty good to great. 
Uh, there, there is a dud, but you know, as to be expected. And if you look at that in terms of the ratio compared to Child Soldier, technically, ratio-wise, there's more good songs on this album compared to Child Soldier. Um, he goes like straight up into radio rock territory a few times on here, but that's not anything new to him. Um, he's always been a great songwriter and great at incorporating hooks into his music. Uh, there's a great collaboration on here with uh, Reba Meyer of Code Orange. They sound fantastic together, and it's cool. They make this almost like 80s-esque, like late-night rocker. Um, not You wouldn't expect it, but it, it just really works. So, you know, when, when he hits, he hits, and he hits well. And I listened to this record for probably two weeks straight. Because, um, again, there's just nothing really else out at the time for me to listen to. Uh, unfortunately, when you listen to something that much, you kind of just end up getting sick of it. So maybe this record would have gotten placed higher if I hadn't literally listened to it over and over again for two straight weeks. Um, but when you listen to it, something that much, you also pick up on its flaws as much as you pick up on, you know, the good parts of it. And this record just doesn't have the same charm, I'd say, that Child Soldier did. Uh, Child Soldier, you could almost tell that this was Greg's real passion project, and he put all of himself into all these songs. You know, there's so many extremely dramatic, overwrought vocal lines and lyrics that are just ridiculous and silly, but he makes them work because you can just tell that he's so invested in what he's doing and so invested in this project that um, he just he's able to sell it every single time. Uh, a lot of that charm is missing here, unfortunately. Uh, I think, again, because maybe he's a little bit more comfortable, you know, he had the kind of success from his first solo record so he doesn't really feel the need to pour as much of himself into it because maybe the situation for him isn't as desperate now you know like i'm trying to think of where his headspace was at when dillinger finished and his other bands are always fine but they've never really been that popular so i'm sure when he was making child soldier he had this kind of idea that like okay like I, I have to nail this because otherwise maybe my career is over, you know? Who knows? So without that kind of pressure and without that kind of freewheeling experimental nature of it, um, it does suffer a little bit, you know? I, I, I miss him going all in on his ridiculous vocal delivery. He, he does, he, we don't get too much of that on this album except for the last song. And the last song almost feels like him being like, oh, okay, uh, I, I, best, I, I guess I better give a crazy vocal performance for the fans in this one. And it's almost like the, you know, like the archetypical Greg freakout song. Um, yeah, so, like, I just don't feel the passion as much as I do in this record as I do in his previous stuff. But... You also need to understand that I have extraordinarily high standards for Greg Pucciato. Again, as a basically 20-year-long fan, um, this is a guy that I have been riding with for a very long time. And 
you know, a, a large part of my music identity and a large part of even who I am as a person, um, he's responsible for. So I hold him to extremely high standards. And for the most part, this record lives up to those standards. I feel like I've talked a lot about what I don't like about this record as much, but I, I quite like most of it a lot. You know, his uh, guitar playing has come quite a long ways. Um, he just outright shreds a whole bunch in this record, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, he's still a fantastic songwriter. Like, there are no outright bad songs in the record, and some of the songs are absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, it's still coming in at number three, you know? That's, that's pretty damn good, right? But I just don't think it's going to be as important to me in the long run of my life as the Child Soldier record was. And again, context is important too, right? Like, that album came out, peak pandemic, like, stuck at home, not doing anything. I just badly needed something to latch onto, and that record was one of those things. Um, I don't need that as much anymore, despite me having listened to it for two straight weeks. So it's just a different relationship entirely. But anyway, still a fantastic record, and if you have interest in rock music at all, I would highly recommend it, because it is really one of the better straight-up rock albums that has come out this year. So, coming in at number three, we have Mirror Cell by Greg Pucciato. Um, okay. You guys want to do some mentions? We can do some mentions. These are the mentions. Why wouldn't we want to do some mentions, right? That's what the show's all about. It's just a... It's just a, a, a way to get to and from the mentions. Really. I know what you freaks are into. Um, let's do some mentions. Sure. So... How do I usually do this? Every single week is exactly the same. Month. Recording. Whatever you want to call it. I It's usually like, I start with the... Okay, yeah, I remember now. Okay, so here we go. The honorable mention for... July 2022. Sorry, I forgot where, where I was for a second there. Is... Flow Millie and You Still Here Ho. Okay, so Flow Millie is an up and coming rapper. She is extremely young, if I recall correctly. She just turned 21, and this is her debut proper studio record. Um, she released a mixtape, I think a year ago or so, uh, that got a lot of acclaim called. Uh, Ho, why, why is you here? I think something like that. Thus, you can see where her uh, current album title came from. And uh, yeah, it, it, it caught a lot of attention from people, mostly just because of Flo Millie's really, really fantastic charisma. Um, she's just a delight to listen to, and that gets carried over and expanded upon in full on her debut record here. So, in a weird, in a fascinating way, like, 
her album and Rico Nasty's album came out uh, the same the same day, the same weekend. And despite Rico being much more high profile and you know kind of the more established artist or whatever, uh, the Flo Millie album is the one that I kept going back to over and over again because not only is she extremely charismatic but she's also very inventive with the kind of music that she's making so it's this isn't following the standard you know kind of trap formula she's really interested in tackling all different types of rap and hip-hop um she seems to have a distinct taste for detroit style g-funk and we really get a sense of that um, in her one collab song with Babyface Ray, who is uh, one of the leading artists of the Detroit scene right now. And just her willingness to tackle these different genres that are kind of outside her own region um, and, and doing so with such gusto and such kind of wild abandon is, is really, really a joy to behold. Um, I really can't kind of talk enough about the fact that she's just a real joy to listen to um she brings so much energy to her delivery uh, she's really funny actually like basically all of her lines are punch lines and um you know some of them are better than others and you understand she's still young and you know still a little bit immature in some ways but she's got a fantastic sense of humor um, and she can rap really fucking well, too. Uh, she's always in pocket. Uh, she mixes up her flows all the time. They all sound fantastic. So when you kind of mix together this amazing charisma, this great lyricism with this kind of sense of adventure with the beats that she's rapping over, you really get a kind of a wholesome project here that uh, is really, really exciting to listen to. And... I'd say, yeah, one of the best debut rap albums of the year so far, for sure. Uh, she's a star in the making, definitely. She has a lot of work to do, definitely. Um, she could be maybe a little bit better of a songwriter, you know, incorporating some better hooks into her songs, and, and maybe that's kind of her next step, you know, is working with other songwriters and taking her music to that next level. But for the time being, if you want to listen to just a straight-up fun, good time of a rap album, uh, you can't get any better than this right now. So, coming in at the honorable mention for July 2022 is Flo Millie, You Still Hear Ho. Is there anything, anything more ridiculous than hearing me say that just now? Like, uh, coming in at number uh, You Still Hear Ho. Like... Fucking white people, man. Okay, the mention for July 2022 is... Okay, um... So, so it's the new Beyonce album, right? But it, 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 it kind of is and it isn't, because I'm not going to talk about the actual album itself. You can go to literally any other place on the internet to find... All the reading material you could ever want on this new record. So, I'm not going to do that. Uh, do I like it? Yes, it seems fine enough. 
But anyway, that's not the point. That's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is the way that the record sounds and what Beyonce and other big pop artists are currently doing in pop music right now. Um, specifically referring to the incorporation of early dance music back into the pop hemisphere. We saw this happen last month with uh, the Drake album, which also, as an aside, isn't it kind of interesting how Drake released this like house-heavy album just like a month before Beyonce did? And the fact that it seems so kind of rushed, at least in terms of his vocal delivery, I'm just gonna posit a theory here. Drake knew that Beyonce was making this kind of record. We know this because Drake has writing credits on at least one of the songs on this new Beyonce record. Do you guys know the uh, Brian Windhorse meme? Basically, I'm doing that right now. Anyway, not important. So. My point being, did Drake wanting to be classic Drake want to get a step ahead of Beyonce in kind of being the, not going to say first, but one of the first artists this year to embrace this kind of music? Um, like, did he just throw together this Honestly Nevermind record so he could get ahead of Beyonce doing it first? I don't know. I think it's something kind of to look into. But the point being, we're seeing more marquee pop artists embrace not club music per se, but house music and, you know, early dance music and stuff like that. So why is this happening now all of a sudden? So you can think of it from a few different angles. Um, I think the two most popular and, you know, most mainstream ideas of why this is currently happening right now. Uh, first one being just the cyclical nature of culture, you know, uh, everything that's old becomes new again. And, you know, the cycle has just come around so that, you know, 80s and 90s style dance music is uh, popular again and being incorporated back into our current popular music. Second most popular theory you'll hear is that it's because of the pandemic and because all that time we spent cooped up in our homes during the pandemic made us yearn for that communal feel of being out in the club and dancing with people. And so in, in almost like a, you know, a, a wanting to get back to that, artists have started embracing that style of music more is almost like a, oh, like, you know, I wish I was out dancing with my friends kind of thing. Okay, two good theories for sure. And I mean, they're, they're both probably right to an extent. What I would like to posit is that it's because of rap music. So rap and hip hop have absolutely dominated the charts for close to a decade, but in the last, like, five years or so, like, almost complete saturation. Like, it's basically just rap and the occasional country tune. And that's, like, that's basically it. Like, you look at the Billboard 
top 20 or so. That's all it's been for years. So I'm thinking that people are just kind of getting sick of rap and hip hop. You know, we, it's been so saturated in culture for the past few years now that naturally people are just kind of ready to move on and embrace something different. Um, now, I thought it was going to be rock music. I thought we were looking at a return to um, 90s style alternative and pop punk and stuff like that, kind of taking back over the charts and being the big thing here. Um, and it kind of looked like that was the direction it was going for a while. Um, you know, we saw Machine Gun Kelly do his heel turn into a pop punk dumbass. Um, you saw a lot of the kind of SoundCloud rappers incorporating a lot of pop punk sounds into their music, stuff like that. But I think I might have been wrong because I think that this is actually the direction that we're going in. Um, because Obviously, EDM is long gone at this point. People are, have been over that. Rap is on its way out, but people still want stuff that's going to make them move and stuff that's going to, you know, appeal to all of their senses and just all parts of who they are. And this kind of big body dance music is exactly that. So, yeah, I think if you incorporate the cyclical nature of culture with you know, the, the demise of rap and, you know, the kind of yearning for club spaces and to be able to dance with people and community and stuff like that. When you mix all these together, it creates this kind of perfect environment for, you know, house and techno and all these, um, you know, really fundamental dance genres to come back into style. And I really love the fact that it's been black artists that have been kind of doing this and, and, and bringing it back into the sphere of their music because it was black artists that started this kind of music anyway. Um, like, believe it or not, but like Avicii didn't invent dance music. Uh, you know, it was queer black people in Detroit and Chicago back in, you know, like the 70s and 80s. So it's so great to see our biggest black pop stars embrace this music and, and bring it back because it is theirs. And um, I think there's a lot of history that has been lost over the years. So it's really cool that we're getting kind of a history lesson in music at the same time as we're getting these new huge dance tunes and uh you know anytime that you know the important legacies of artists that have been forgotten get brought back into the light is is always a positive thing for culture and society uh on mass so this is a great thing that this is happening i love this direction that we're going um is the beyonce album for me no absolutely not it's it, it, it is so not for me. <laughs> they, they did not have me in mind whatsoever. I mean, obviously no one ever does, but I hope you know what I'm saying. Like, that's why I'm kind of reserving any judgment on the record because it doesn't make sense for me to try and evaluate this record because what connection really do I have to 
Beyonce's dance music opus that draws on the legacies of 70s and 80s queer black artists. Like, I have no space to say anything about it there, and that's totally fine. Um, I think it's great that we're moving into this because dance music is great. House music is great. All these kind of genres are fantastic. Disco is awesome. Like, let's let's go all in on that. I would so much rather have this shit rather than fucking, you know, EDM and, man, what are those chain smokers garbage coming through the radio? Fucking Coldplay Walmart bullshit. You know what I mean? At least this music is exciting and it's vital and, uh... Again, comes with so much history attached to it that, yeah, it's great. So, that's the mention. Just wanted to kind of show my appreciation for what's happening in the pop world right now. Um, Although I really do think Drake tried to pull one on us to get people to think that he started this wave because he knew Beyonce was doing this. It would just be classic Drake, right? Like, come on. What, What else has he done other than you know, genre ride for the past decade, realistically. Anyway, coming in at the mention, uh, Beyonce Renaissance. Dishonorable mention going to Black Midi Hellfire. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. I think this is the second time that Black Midi has gotten a dishonorable mention in the PH5 podcast. Should I fucking cut them some slack? No, okay? Because their first album was really, really great, you know? It was really promising. It it showed a kind of wild, bold, creative side while at the same time, you know, a sense of restraint and songwriting that made it actually listenable. Um, their album from last year is unlistenable and this new one is unlistenable. It's the most uppity, pretentious, just stupid shit. Like, yes, you guys are extremely good at playing your instruments, but this is music, and I respect artists making music for themselves, for sure. But this is music that is, like, so only made for their own enjoyment. It's like, I don't know. I I can't stand it. It's really annoying. It irritates me because I know that they don't have to be this stupid, but they just keep doing it. It seems like they're going to continue doing it. And I, it just drives me crazy because, like, you guys can be such a great band, but instead you'd rather fucking make these six-minute-long dirges of chaos that are not even interesting and just make you sound ridiculous. So... Again, don't want to spend too much time on it. We're all about positivity this episode. So, coming in at the dishonorable mention for July 2022, we have Black Midi Hellfire. These are the mentions. Hello, Bob. So happy to have you back once again on the yeah, PH5 podcast. Here I am. Here you are. <laughs> <laughs> what's, 
Last time you were actually here in person, which was a, a delight. Um, we're just doing a, a classic phoner right now, but you know, I'm still yeah. feeling the energy, still feeling the great vibes. Totally, yeah. How you been? It's a beautiful day. Ah, great, great. It's been a really great, busy summer. Um, loving life, you know? That's awesome. That's great. <laughs> Um, so for the, uh, the seasoned PH5 heads out there, they'll recognize Bob from, um, last season, last year, where we had him on discussing, uh, his latest Wizard of release, which is still a fantastic record, would highly recommend, um, for anyone who hasn't checked that out yet. Uh, but here today, we are talking about someone else's music. Which means uh, we can put all the pleasantries aside and really just go go to town if we want to. <laughs> yeah, although you know, full disclosure, a lot of pleasantries ahead because this album is just fucking amazing. Yeah, like, so good. Yeah, pleasant. I'm really, I'm really glad it. Like, I don't. You know, we'll get into how much it clicked with you, but I listened to it and was like, oh my god, Phil has to hear this. Yeah, and like that's definitely a big reason why I wanted to kind of have you on and discuss it with you because this was actually your recommendation and yeah, um, yeah. not not to sound like a complete fucking douchebag but uh, I don't listen to many people's recommendations <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah I know I'm I'm really yeah, that guy here. but but <laughs> but you're you're one of those guys who if you say I need to check something out I am I'm on it right away uh, every time yeah. and oh, well, uh, thank you. yeah thank you um, and yeah you nailed this one you knocked this recommendation out of the park so um, just in the kind of uh, structure of the show uh, this is number two for the month of uh, July right we're yeah we're in August now July oh 2022 so I'm I'm so curious what number one was ahead of this. Like, I have to hear it. So after the we record this, then you tell me because I don't want you to mess up the ordering of the show. Oh no, like, man! I'm not, I'm not telling you shit, bro. You gotta check the episode. <laughs> out. <laughs> I gotta wait till the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, Just fair enough. gotta keep the anticipation <laughs> high. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, I'll tell you. Don't worry. I'll tell you. Oh, okay, sweet. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So. What's the record? How about you introduce it for us? Okay. So the album is called Afilut. <laughs> yeah. A V E I L U T, and the band is called Scarcity. So the uh, reason why I wanted you to introduce it is because I have no idea how to say the title, so I wanted yeah. the the onus to be I, on you. I've just been calling it the Scarcity album. I keep forgetting it's called Afilut, but I think that Scarcity doesn't have a lot of albums out. If I'm I'm not 100% sure, I need to look it up, but like I'd never heard of them prior to this album. Likewise. And, uh, actually, and as, as like lame as it sounds, like it was Pitchfork that directed them to me. Pitch uh, what? Right <laughs> Pitch who? I don't, I don't know. Don't know of this Pitchfork you're talking about. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Some old thing. Never um, heard of them. <laughs> but yeah, no, they, they gave it a, a really positive review and. Um, <clears throat> Basically, the band is made up of a composer who, uh, like, enlisted a metal vocalist to help him write all this. And uh, it's supposed to be like, like, okay, I don't, 
I, I'm actually like literally looking at the review, like don't pull the wording. Um, but it's essentially an album written about like grieving. Uh, from what I understand, the composer was grieving the death of, I think it was like his aunt and his, one of his good friends. And uh, yeah, I uh, reading that and then reading how it's, it's like a composer who's tackling a black metal album um, kind of just gave me the incentive to check it out. Um, like black metal, I, I, from listening to your show, I know that you're a pretty big fan of black metal and you've been following a lot of like the different permutations of it. Um, whereas for me, I, I loved black metal years ago and I was just so stoked on like Kralis and Liturgy and that Death album, that Death Heaven album, Sunbather, like that was like the peak for me. And then I don't know what happened, but I just totally like got off of that scene. And this album to me feels like where I wanted that scene to go. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is a good starting point to dive into the album, but it's at least a good like reference for the listener who is like, who the hell is Scarcity? Um, I, I don't know if you would want to weigh in on that at all, Phil. Yeah, well, I I totally agree, and like like you were saying, um, it is definitely one of my favorite genres. I just I think it's a it's a really cool way to like express like this almost like elemental force. Like that that's what I always think of when I think of black metal. Like um, in a weird way, I think uh, I don't. Do you know Mount Erie by any chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was it was kind of his experimentation with black metal um, back like 10, 15 years ago uh, that really actually kind of opened up what what black metal really feels like, like what it means to me. And, and, and he, he, he described it as kind of like a way of capturing like the ferocity of the elements in like music form and that's really how i felt you know in elements can mean you know nature elements can mean you know like human rage the human spirit whatever it might be but i just always found it to be this really compelling uh if not very problematic at times genre that can really just uh showcase the force that music can have in like a in a more abstract way and not and not a way that is immediate to the listener, you know, and, and, and really yeah. just kind of envelops you in the emotion of, of what's happening. So, uh, well, I don't know if you've, you've read about this before or heard about it, but um, I think that it's it's kind of like described as this certain type of um, like Viking, uh, how do I call this? like assault style like <laughs> but no but basically like i remember over the years reading books on black metal and how they described the, the the style of music that kind of like wall of chaos is sort of similar to what happens when vikings would like take over uh, a, a village and become like this like chaotic force of just like extreme violence and like destruction and everything and there's a word for it where it's almost like like this crazy form of catharsis um, I'm, I'm like literally trying to Google it right now and I can't find it, but there's like, um, I guess like a Nordic word to describe that. And it's used to, um, describe what I guess like black metal is trying to achieve is like, you know what I mean? Like hitting that sort of like peak 
of of like primitive emotions and like chaos and violence and everything and that's so that's always something that i was always drawn to yes you know, because it's, totally. it's like it's like this force of catharsis you know like like that's the thing like when black metal is really good and and really resonant it can be just like one of the most cathartic forms of music that's the man like you absolutely nailed it like that's that's exactly how i feel about it too um <laughs> Really, really wish I knew what this word was. I find it interesting, and I mean, yeah, <laughs> damn it, Bob. Um, but yeah, and I mean, it makes sense too because the origins of the genre are like Nordic countries, and you know, so the fact that they would draw inspiration from that into the music, uh, it certainly makes a lot of sense. But folks, just want to make something clear: not to be confused with Viking metal, which is a very specific other genre, and it really sucks. So. <laughs> We're not talking about that garbage. Sorry no, if you like. No. Sorry if you like Viking metal, by the way. That's, but I just yeah. can't stand that crap. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, like again, big fan of the genre. Have been for a while, but this is an album I think that has uh, really stood out to me in terms of the genre, um, in terms of recent releases, anyway. Just because of uh, like it's more experimental nature, and I think it's the fact that. Uh, like, it wasn't necessarily a black metal musician who created this record, it's a, it's a composer. And you really hear a lot of the elements of almost, like, film composition in this music, the way that it's structured and the way that it flows uh, from beginning to end. Um, I know that you are a huge film guy and, and you're really into soundtracks and um, stuff like yeah. that, so I would love to hear, like, what your thoughts are in terms of this album being kind of like almost like a black metal soundtrack if that makes sense yeah yeah i the, the big film that stood out to me that reminded me of was midsummer um but that's also kind of like thematically too like not just the sound although i do think um like if you'd seen midsummer and you know, spoiler alert, like the whole ending sequence with uh, the burning down of the barn, uh, the music for that, which I think was composed by... Hacks and Cloak. Hacks and Cloak, yeah, Bobby Krillick, is it his yeah. name? Yeah, Krillick, yeah. Um, yeah, so the ending music of that, which is just oh, so incredible, um, it has such beautiful interplay of like dissonant notes and uh and like consonant notes i think that's the right term for it um but basically like the final song on this album does the same thing where it, it's it's like building towards this cathartic ending by like weaving through these like really dissonant moments and really like just beautiful melodic moments and it gets to the point where like the dissonant notes feel like lights kind of like streaking through the music i don't know if i, I mean that's kind of really wanky sounding but i don't know if you had the same <laughs> effect at all when you were listening to it no i like like it may be wanky but like i agree like that's a, that's a level okay. of, that's a level of wank i can get on board with um <laughs> no i totally agree and i i think there's a lot of interesting moments like that throughout the album like i remember the first time um my first time listening through i think it was the second or third song but there's a like there's a there's a passage where just the way that it's kind of mixed that it almost sounds like do you know what it's like um 
You know, it's like like when you listen to things through a fan, and it gets that kind of like choppy, oh, like when 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 just the way that the kind of uh, double bass and the uh, the guitar is kind of working and interplaying with each other. It almost felt like this, like uh, like again, like just listening to something through a fan or something like this. And yeah, just lots of interesting yeah. moments like that throughout the album. And I know there's a is it the fourth song or something like this where the uh, the vocals get really chopped up digitally and it just creates this really cool interesting effect and the album's just so full of really neat moments like that that again i think you almost need to have that composer's ear for for like you know dramatic moments and, and it really gets brought really effectively to this record yeah yeah totally and i mean it's it's only five songs but each song is just like a meal yeah you know like i wouldn't want this any longer and i wouldn't want it any shorter either like everything kind of felt perfect i think my first listen of it i did find it was kind of demanding and maybe repetitive but i will say like every time i listen to the album i feel like more is kind of revealed and the lengths of, of different passages, of repetition in certain parts, everything feels intentional. Yep. It's all like driving you somewhere. And, um, you know, you were talking about essentially like the tremolo feeling. Yeah. Right? I'm like, uh, I think it was in the second song where like the guitars and the drums are kind of like battering at like, at like a certain speed. And it was interesting because like I noticed like trying to do a deep listen of the album take notes about it for this chat that the drumming often is so fast but there's still so much interplay of like tension and release and i find that like i've never really heard that in, in like maybe anything before where I was like the drums are super fast right now but why does it feel like it's it's like tightening a vice yeah you know I, like as soon as the drums hit light speed you kind of expect to take off with with the ship you know mm-hmm. and there's moments where that happens here but i just feel like maybe that's that composer here that is it's sort of like taking the theoretical approach of creating music and and like taking in directions that like metal maybe could never do i, I have no idea definitely um i'm kind of glad that you uh, brought up uh, bobby krillich um I know you guys. You guys share a, a, a first name, which is cool. So I'm sure you <laughs> have right. you have that immediate connection there. That that should be an icebreaker if I want to hit him up. I'm like, hey, it's me. Your name. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm also Bob. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the things that I really like about you know his, the music that he made as Hacks and Cloak and just his soundtrack work too, is like. It almost shows the boundless potential of this kind of music and of black metal and why I like black metal because to me the music that Bobby Krillich makes kind of feels almost like black metal even if it doesn't necessarily have guitars or drums or anything like that but it's all about that idea of um, tension and release and kind of like transporting the listener to this like equally claustrophobic and cathartic place 
Uh, like, to me, that's what black metal's all about. It's not about face paint and, you know, tremolo picking and whatnot. It's about, you know, that, that feeling that it inspires within you. And uh, I, yeah. I think he's really good at emu emulating that same kind of feeling uh, through electronics or, you know, through, you know, orchestras that he's sampling or whatever it may be. Um, so yeah. I find that it, it's kind of cool how this album almost, to me, like, it's, it's, it's the approach in the opposite way, you know, where maybe Bobby Krillich is, like, taking on black metal from a, like, like, going, like, using black metal as a foundation and going towards, you know, electronic music and, and, and you know, like, soundtracks and stuff like that, whereas this album is kind of the opposite, where... Like, this guy started out as a composer and, and soundtracking, and he's taking that world and applying it to black metal, you know? Does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing, though, I think that, like, adds, like, a slight nuance to it, though, is uh, from what I read in that review, <laughs> um, <clears throat> the main composer started out playing guitar in Glenn Branca's band. Like, are you familiar with Glenn Branca at all? I'm not, no. Uh, so, I, I'm, I'm not an expert or anything on him, and I've just heard maybe, like, one album, but he did these kind of, uh, I think, like, modern composition, noise rock kind, kind of ensembles, and okay. I think this is where uh, the guitarists of Sonic Youth got their start, and, like, a lot of other people in that kind of world. Um, so they, he would do these big kind of orchestras of like layers of guitar and like listening to it, it kind of reminded me of, you know, Sonic Youth and, and even like Broken Social Scene, I could see how some of their like more guitar thick songs would have been influenced by that. Just like, you know, like a wall of guitars, like that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And Definitely. so, um, hearing or knowing that he worked with Glenn Branca and then going into this, that also makes a lot of sense too, because it's just like the guitars are layered so perfectly, you know, it's, you know, like if you look at Kralis, for instance, they do so many layering of, of riffs that are uh, like so high pitched mm -hmm. that it ends up becoming a wash even though it's so intricate. Whereas here, the guitars feel a lot more like an ensemble. Yeah. Like, there's, there's, like they're all trading a choir together. Totally. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you can almost picture, like... Yeah, like, if, if I were to see... Like, when I envisioned this album being performed live, I almost see it like a... Like an orchestra-esque setup, except yeah. with like a shit ton of guitars instead of like other instruments, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too, that, you know, I, I would love to see this performed in somewhere like Roy Thompson Hall. Yes! You oh. know what I mean? Like, I, would, Oof, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to see them playing some club, like, or... I don't know, where do you go in Toronto for metal shows now? Nowhere, <laughs> man. Close, like Opera House <laughs> or something? Or, I have no idea. Hard um, Luck Bar, maybe? Yeah, but even then it would just be like, this band is too big for the stage. Yeah, totally agree. Um, but, but Roy Thompson Hall would be incredible yep. to see this. That would be a, a dream concert for me. For sure, for sure. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... 
I think we both have similar thoughts about the album in that, uh, like, it's a great display of kind of, like we had mentioned, the potential of this kind of music and then the places that you can take it to. You know, the fact that you can take this this genre of black metal and, and, and create this work of art that, like we're saying now, could only really be done true justice in, like, a concert hall, you know? Like, yeah. it's just one of those records that really, um, yeah, just really shows how powerful and limitless this type of music really is. Yeah, but it's it's funny too because like whenever I've tried to describe bands like Kralis in the past to people that listen to metal have never heard of them, I've always wanted to compare it to orchestral music or symphonic music. But when you say to someone, oh, it's like symphonic black metal, do you know what I mean? Like what's yeah, the yeah. picture in that scenario? And again, like scarcity is nothing like that. No, like not they don't at all. have that that gothic, um, symphonic kind of style. You know what I mean? Like, was, is it Cradle of Filth that's like that? Cradle of Filth is like Nevermore, all those bands, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Exactly, this more, exactly. This is more like Philip Glass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other, the other thing I wanted to touch on, um, it kind of reminds me, like, if you listen to it front to back, a little bit of Dope Smoker. Okay, yeah, I get that. And not not because, you know, it sounds similar in the sense that, like, it's sonar metal full of solos or anything, but there's this similar sort of, um, like, like ritualistic um, kind of sound to it. Like, the first track feels like the beginning of a ritual, yep. you know? Absolutely. And the, the way it ends, like, I don't want to, like, spoiler alert, but <laughs> <laughs> the, way the, the way the album ends, is just so fucking beautiful. Yeah. Like when the drums peel out and it's just those guitars and the screaming. I know. And oh. I, it's honestly one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard. And it then is. it bleeds into like a drone that sounds like Twin Peaks. Yep. Yep. I'd say like just again, I haven't really looked in the lyrics or anything like that. I, that's oh same. Yeah. It's not really of interest to me, but like no. you can really hear. <laughs> like the theme of the passage of grief coming through this album you know and the way that the way that you know grief kind of comes in these waves and it can be this overpowering intensity and then it pulls back and then it resurfaces again so they they he really did a great job of uh kind of capturing that feeling with this one yeah absolutely and i just want to give a shout out to the vocalist, the, the, the guy from Pyron, I don't know if I'm saying yeah. that right. Yeah, Doug Moore? Yeah, but I mean, this guy fucking nailed it. Like, he came in and he delivers. Like, he sounds incredible alongside this music, so... Mm. For kind of like a like a vocalist for hire type situation, like, it, he sounds right at home here. Yeah, totally. And, and also... It's refreshing because he does have a very distinct metal voice. Yep. Even though the music comes from, like, modern composition or noise rock or whatever, and it's attempting to do black metal, he got a metal vocalist. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Like, exactly. someone who's, like, up for the assignment. Yep. Definitely. So, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I, I mean, I, I don't have much else to say. Do you have any closing thoughts? Uh... Not really. I mean, 
all the notes I wrote were kind of just getting more into like the nitty gritty of essentially what I already said. <laughs> so yeah, just honestly, if you're listening and you're at least or a little bit interested, like give this a shot. Give, give it, it definitely give listens. it a shot. Yeah, give it two listens too yes. if you can, because I really find the more you listen to it, the more you peel back the onion. You get more depth out of the album. You hear the lightness of it, you know? Yep. Like, it's a really uplifting record. It, it actually is, you know? Like, yeah. It, it, it does kind of... Um, it does prescribe a weird amount of positivity, I find, despite it being mm-hmm. so dark. Yeah, it's really the last song that's the only song that I would say is uh, sad. Yep. But... It feels um, purposeful, you know? Definitely. Like, it isn't just trying to bum you out. It's like, you've gone on this journey. That's right. That's right. Okay, well, Bob, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to chat in and out of the podcast context. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we think we'll get another Scarcity record ever? I'm thinking not. I'm thinking this is just going to be a one-off, like, here you go. Yeah you know, one-and-done situation. Um, I'm okay with that. I agree. I kind of want to hear... Oh, sorry, you were going to say? Oh, no, I was, I was just agreeing with you. I, I, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I actually would love to just see this composer tackling different genres. Oh, different, okay. Different concepts, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, I think his name's Brendan Randall Myers, and yeah, like, I would love to hear his um, classical music, and I would love to hear him do an electronic album and I'd love to hear him do like anything you know like I I just want him to flex his imagination as much as he can because he's you know a brilliant songwriter absolutely so yeah man if you're hearing this uh, keep up the good work yeah oh and hear him do a film score as well that would be cool yeah absolutely Absolutely. or did you say he did I don't I I thought he did Mm, you might be right I don't know I, I might be wrong too, to though. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for joining, Bob. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll chat again soon. Sound good? Yeah, we'll, for sure. I'd love to have you back again uh, whenever you'd like. Yeah, maybe have me on to talk about an album that we both hate. Oh, <laughs> I would love that. Are you a Lexus yeah, on Fire are. fan? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I honestly don't know them. I think we were talking about that before. We were, like, yeah, we were. Yeah. <laughs> I know the first album, the green cover with the cheerleader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good that one. That's it. a good one. Okay, yeah, I, I gotta I'm be careful. <laughs> if I talk any more shit about Alexis on Fire uh, on this podcast, I'm gonna be officially deported from the, the province Canada. of Ontario. So. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta yeah, rein it in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay, buddy. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we'll chat again soon, okay? Okay. How about Bob, eh? Damn. What a guy. Thanks so much again for joining. Uh, always appreciate you. Uh, what about Bob? You guys ever watch that movie? I used to watch that with my grand, my grandpa all the time. Bill Murray, Richard Dreyfus. Oof. Classic. Okay. Well, this is an extremely long episode, so thank you for sticking around. I mean, it's literally the length of a feature-length movie. Uh, cool. 
That's a lot. So, let's let's finish her off, shall we? So, coming in at number one, um, before I kinda... Sorry about that. Before I kinda get started on talking about the record, I, I, I wanna confess something, okay? Uh, sometimes I like to take you guys into the, into the inner machinations of PH5. And, uh, how my kind of brain works when I'm thinking about this stuff every month. And sometimes... I'll admit... That... There are records that will come out that I... Already kind of assume where they will be on my list without having heard them, you know? Um, sometimes I just know when I'm really gonna like something, and, like, the whole month as I'm waiting for time to go by and for the album to come out, I always kind of leave a slot empty for that record, because I know it's gonna end up on there somewhere. And it doesn't always pan out, you know? Sometimes there's massive disappointments that happen. Um, that Mastodon record, for example, really, really hurt. I, I was, I was, that was like, that was supposed to be the album of the year for me, you know? And instead it, uh, fuck, that shit really, it really, really hurt me. If you go back and listen to that episode, you can really hear the pain in my voice talking about that one. Uh, but my point being that sometimes I kind of cheat a little bit and I'm not entirely objective. And I kind of leave, I kind of like know what my number one is going to be before I've even heard it, before the month has even come around. That happened this month with this record that I'm going to talk about. Um, it was, it has been probably my most anticipated release of the year, uh, ever since I caught wind of these guys late last year, and I've been really, really eagerly anticipating this one coming out. Uh, so as soon as July rolled around, I'm like, okay, time to get ready for this record. It's going to be there. And when you do this to yourself, it's so easy to set yourself up for disappointment, right? Because um, when you kind of build something up in your mind so much, that when you actually get it, it's hard for it to ever really live up to these expectations that you've had for it. This is one of those instances where the album has absolutely lived up to every expectation that I had for it, and maybe even surpassed it. So, coming in at number one for July 2022, we have chat pile god's country um this is another one of those frustrating instances where fucking pitchfork gave it best new music and it's really annoying to me like can you at least let me get my podcast out before you do that so that like it seems like i'm not just riding on their coattails or whatever but i assure you uh, I've been really, really waiting for this record for a long time, and my love for it is, is true and genuine. So, Chatpile is a 
very, very, very sludgy noise rock band from Oklahoma. And they've released some EPs in the past. They released a split with Portrayal of Guilt, um, which is how I originally kind of caught wind of them and became obsessed with them. And this is their official debut record um, coming out on the Flinzer. Quick aside, uh, the Scar City record and this record both came out on Flenzer Records. So the top one and two of PH5 both came from the same record label this month. So big shout out to the Flenzer. You guys are fucking dope. Um, and this record is just the absolutely disgusting beast that everyone was hoping for. I actually think it's been a while since I have seen the amount of anticipation for a new heavy record uh, like I've seen for this one. I mean, people have been talking about this record for a long time. Um, again, just based off of the power of their uh, EPs and their split with Betrayal of Guilt and their live shows, um, people have been really excited about this band for a while. And, I mean... Within 10 seconds of putting this record on, you can tell exactly why. This thing is just horrendous. Um, it's a band that draws upon... So, if you don't know what a chat pile is, it's like a slab of concrete used to kind of cover up toxic waste. Um, and it's that's a great kind of metaphor for... America right now um, and that's what this record is all about it's about the toxic waste um, hiding not really hiding so much anymore in the United States uh, they really embody the poison that has corrupted American society and listening to this record is an extremely harrowing and horrifying experience because they throw it all in plain sight for you um it is not for the faint of heart but i mean these days america isn't for the faint of heart and that's why this record is kind of so important because we we know of the horrible shit that's happening in the states we know of the unholy mess that the country has made itself into but rarely do we have it shown to us so bluntly as Chat Pile does with this debut record. Um, so again, they play a style of really heavy, just like disgusting is really the only word for it, kind of noise rock um, that draws equal inspiration from say like sludge bands like I Hate God as they do with the Jesus Lizard for example um, the bass is murky and just like really gut punchy the guitars are, are shrill and, and, and like sharp and like almost hurt to listen to at points the drum production is kind of like a really nasty messy take on like 80s new wave style drums and how they're kind of produced and it all comes together with the vocalist um i don't know this guy's name but 
man, oh man, does he ever tie it all together and produce the sick, disturbing cherry on top of this disgusting Sunday that is the band chat pile. Um, this guy shrieks, he groans, he, like, he really sounds at times of this record like he's going through an exorcism on Mike. When he screams, like, people like to throw around the term throat shredding, but it really actually feels like, like, his throat is being shredded into the mic as you, as you're hearing it. Like, you can almost see the flecks of blood that coat the mic every time this guy opens his mouth and just lets it rip. And the songs are all different yet equally disturbing portraits of just the chaos and filth of American society right now. Um, opening track, Slaughterhouse, which I think is an instant classic of noise rock. Um, just an in instantly classic riff, um, instantly classic vocal inflections. Um, it's about, you know, the slaughterhouse industry and, 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 you know, the animal mass murder that we do every single day to support the meat industry. And it's just an absolutely horrifying and, and, and harrowing take on the subject. I mean, there's one part in the song where... You know, it's kind of reaching the song's peak and the climax, and the vocalist just starts talking about more screaming than you'd think, everyone's heads ringing, and it just paints such a disturbingly vivid picture of what, you know, it's actually like to be in one of these places of murder, you know, slaughterhouses. And it's it's terrifying. It's, it's, it's horrifying stuff. And, like... I listen to music that's pretty intentionally scary a lot of the time, but this might be the most truly horrifying record that I've heard in a very long time. And that's compared to all the black metal that I listen to, compared to all of the kind of like noisy stuff that I'm listening to. Like just the way the bleak pictures that this band is able to paint in all of their songs is astounding. Um, So, like, what's the appeal of this? Like, why... Why would you listen to something that's this gross? That's this disgusting? That's this horrifying? Well, the whole point is, like... This is reality. Like, this is the world that we live in right now. And... This is what we have to stomach on a day-to-day -day basis. We you turn on the news. You flip through Twitter. It's just horror story after horror story after horror story of things that are just happening to us and to society at like lightning speed it's one thing after the next over and over again so what's the appeal the appeal is like this is what life is you know like as nice as it is to venture away into beautiful soundscapes like on Beatopia the Biba Doobie album the reality of the world is that it is shit. Everything has gone completely to shit. Everything is poisoned. We're, we're just so utterly fucked. And no record that I've heard, maybe ever,
has really captured the essence of just how truly fundamentally fucked we are, as this record does. So, in a way, it's just nice to listen to it because it's like, okay, at least I'm not alone in feeling this way. At least, at least there's some sort of catharsis. At least there is an art form out there that is an accurate representation of the way things are right now, you know? No, no hiding behind any veils, you know? No, no makeup to cover up the bruises. This is a full portrait, warts and all, of what it's really like to live these days, especially in America, which is just the most rotten place on the planet right now, arguably. So, this, I have to say, is a very high contender for album of the year for me. It's just, nothing else makes you feel this way, for better or for worse. Um, but my god, is it ever an important listen, because this is how it is. This is what we're living through, this is what it's like. Um, and, and, and Chad Pyle gets it. And, God, you know, I, I hope you don't get it, but if you do, nothing scratches the itch the way that this album does right now. So, coming in at number one, we have Chat Pile, God's Country. Thank you, everyone. We are uh, approaching our, sorry, minute 100, so I'm gonna just uh, wrap things up now. Thanks for sticking around, as always. Appreciate you guys so much for listening. Um, I'm going to uh, introduce a little feature. I, I, I tried it like five minutes before I started recording today, uh, where I'm just gonna throw it up on Instagram. Hey, I'm gonna record soon. Does anyone have any questions about anything? If you'd like to engage that way, that'd be awesome. If not, totally, totally fine too. Just trying to do some new things be a little more engaged with you guys however I can um thanks for listening stay cool it's a hot one and we'll chat soon this is Phil May signing off have a good one